This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 97, and my guest this week is Brian McTurnan. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably heard Brian's name come up quite a lot. Uh, I certainly got talked about in the Anthony Green episode in the uh, Dustin Kensrue episode. So this is just bound to happen. So I was really excited to get to talk to him. Um, he's been making records as a producer that uh, many of which are just absolutely life-changing. I'm just going to run out. I'm just going to, I'm just going to name some bands he's worked with just so you get an idea in case you're maybe a little unfamiliar with Brian's work. Uh, he's produced records for Cave-In, Converge, Strike Anywhere, Balance and Composure, Thrice, Circus Survive, Bane, The Movie Life, Darkest Hour, Majority Rule, Seriously, it's just all over the map. Um, it's really impressive. Uh, Brian also plays or has played in bands like Battery, Milltown, Ashes. And uh, most recently, he's in the band Be Well, who have a brand new EP called Hello Sun, which is available through Revelation Records. Uh, Be Well also has Aaron Dahlback from Bane, uh, Mike from Darkest Hour, and Peter and Shane, who are in the band Fairweather. They got dates currently supporting uh, Newfound Glory. They're doing like the Sticks and Stones album tour that's happening in the U.S., and this fall, they're going to be supporting Boyce It's Fire and Hot Water Music alongside Sam I Am in Europe. Uh, so check out those dates and uh, support them because uh, the band is really, really good. Um, I want to let you know that there's a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where Brian answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. And it's a really good episode. Um, what else is up? Oh, uh. Are you interested in a first ever podcast t-shirt or hat? If you are, hit up secretvoice.bigcartel.com. Uh, you can also find the link for that in, uh, in the Instagram for the first ever podcast. Um, yeah, it, it means a lot to have you support the show like that. 
And uh, if you haven't subscribed to the show over on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to this, leaving a kind rating and review, all those things that every podcast asks you to do, um, it'd mean a lot. Appreciate it. Uh, I think that's it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Brian McTurnan. What's up, Brian? How are you? Hey, Jeremy. How are you? I'm doing well. This is exciting. You're uh, you're someone that I've really wanted to talk to for a long time. And um, when this came my way, obviously, you have a record coming out with Be Well. Um, the timing just worked out, so I'm thrilled. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's um, uh, definitely, actually, well, not even I'm sure, but I know we're going to end up getting to records you've produced and stuff like that. But your name is one of those names that has followed me since I discovered punk rock you know like the amount oh, of that's records. very cool yeah like the amount of records that i could say with complete confidence were like life changers i'd look at the back of the of the cd jacket or the lp jacket and be like there's that name again so this uh, is great well i got started early so there better be <laughs> <laughs> there better be a couple good ones in there right definitely i uh it's funny i just um i just texted with uh brodsky um, oh but I'm gonna have because I'm gonna I'm gonna hopefully talk to him soon and uh, and I told him I was about to talk to you in an hour and he was like give him my best. Yeah, he dude, he's amazing. He's he's an incredible guy. Yeah, there are some people that are just too talented. I think for everyone's own good, and uh, uh, he, he yeah. seems like one of those. He's a virtuoso. I mean, it's, you know what's amazing though is like so humble and so it's like he really is just a one of a kind person on every level like creatively musically and just kind of kindness wise <laughs> you know i mean he's like i guess it's not fair that you know he can be that talented and that cool <laughs> right yeah and also handsome where you're just like come yes. on man what you got this is doesn't age yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true i've only it's funny i've only met him in passing we have such a venn diagram of so many friends in common um, but i only met him once in passing but again he's someone like you where it's like i've been following his career for for so long and we have so many mutuals and stuff so yeah um, i'm thrilled to talk to him yes um, so uh when I prep for an episode, you know, it's like, usually it's like, oh, I can, you know, uh, these are the key things I'm going to talk about. But when I talk to someone of uh, like you, there is so much to cover because you've been active in so many different ways for so many, you know, in so many different uh, uh, parts of this world and whatever else. So um, we're going to just chip away at this and I'm going to do my best to, to, to capture as much as I can. Perfect. Okay, cool. Um, so we can start here. You're, are you from D.C. originally or are you from Maryland? Yeah. Oh, I grew up in um, in Maryland about, you know, a mile from the D.C. line. So it's just like, you know, I would consider myself D.C. Okay, cool. You know. Cool. It's, God, and like, I feel like the last couple people I've talked to are all in that same exact area between. I mean, I talked to Andy from Praise yesterday and we talked about you a little bit. Oh, and, love uh, that guy. Yes. Oh, what a, what a cool guy. Yes. And uh and then I talked to Chris um, from Page Ninety Nine. Um, okay. Also, who's from that same area? I know you did a record for like Majority Rule and stuff. Yes. So like same sort yes. of world. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was curious with when you were growing up, um, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours, as opposed to maybe something that was being played in the house? Um, it was my. It was the kind of like a first complete game changer for me was suburbia the movie the i don't movie, know if you've yeah. ever seen it yeah. but um we had been getting into like uh, my brothers had 
um, my my older brother's really into punk and hardcore too, and so he had a friend whose older sister had been getting us into like new wave and like the cure and smiths and things like that and then one day he brought home this videotape i i think i was in like fifth grade and we watched it and it was suburbia and it was just like it felt so dangerous it felt just like wow this is like like should we even be able to be watching this you know like the the, like kids living in the house and (laughs) we watched that we like watched that thing until like you you couldn't play it anymore. Um, I, I, I always think about my, like my, I went with my brother and a bunch of his friends and we, we, um, my first graffiti experience came from that movie too, because, um, we, we snuck out of the house and took all these like ketchup and mustard bottles and went and put TR on all these cars in the neighborhood. Yeah. Wait, what's TR? Total. I think it's totally rejected from the movie. That's like what they would have. Oh, 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 yeah. cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so, so that was uh. So it was my first foray into punk and my first foray into graffiti. Into, into <laughs> some sort of vandal into uh, condiment vandalism. vandalism. Yeah. So, so that was that was that, and then um, through luck, um, this guy moved up the street from me that was like a hardcore dude, like skinhead hardcore punky guy from new zealand and um and um one day i was walking down the street and i was wearing a sex pistol shirt and i just hear this guy with a new zealand accent yell the sex pistols are bollocks (laughs) and i turned around and i see this skinhead dude and he comes out and he just starts talking to me and he just became this like wealth of music information for both me and my brother and he's we'd go over there over there after school and he he at first was playing us like all this punk stuff but then he he finally played me seven seconds and i was just like oh my god this is then that was like so that was like the first band complete game changer for me it was like it had the energy and the feel and the look of punk stuff but it had words that i related to not just you know i didn't relate to like god save the queen you know sure. um but you know you know daddy always told you to do it like a man <laughs> i mean it, you know that shit hit yeah me right away and uh changed everything completely. damn that's cool that's that's awesome it feels like yeah it's like this person just appeared in your life and was just the lantern to be like okay here here's here you go you know well, and it wasn't only that it was that he um my parents loved him so he started taking us to shows when I was 10. I mean, wow. Wait, so, so what, what was the age difference? Um, my brother was 12 and this Jason was 18. And so, wow. but he was like, he played rugby. He was like, like a very, uh, in, you know, my, we were safe when we were with him, I guess is what I would yeah, say. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's cool that he had to have at least presented a version of responsible to have your your folks like trust that like oh if we let our children go with this guy like they're gonna be okay like we were also into trouble we were also like feral you know like <laughs> like my i my parents did the best that they could but our sure. house was just insane it was just you know like it you know i mean in in later years it became the house that like you know every single band stayed at and I mean, 
I it literally was like a suburbia house. Like I used to like. I was going to make home. the same joke. Yeah, I was like, I, 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 I mean, all, to the point, I would like do graffiti in the house, and my dad oh my would God. leave leave notes on the wall that said, "Don't write on wall." <laughs> I mean, it was really crazy. But the, I I just remember my brother, like you know, my I had a swim meet or something, and I came home and I found out that my brother Jason had taken my brother's C seven seconds and. I was crushed that I didn't get to go. So then a few weeks later, um, Uniform Choice was playing with Soulside and the Flaming Lips, actually. And um, Whoa, whoa. Yeah. It's totally crazy. And um, and he took me to that. And that was just like, I mean, I was all in at that point. And I mean, the crazy thing about that is at that first show I ever went to, I met this other skinhead guy named Mike Mattingly, who was like this super tough dude as well. I became friends with him. I ended up dating his sister when I was in sixth grade and the guitar, he played drums in a band and the guitar player for his band was Ken Olden, who I went on to do battery with. So, I mean, it's just, it's crazy how all this stuff tied to tied together. And I mean, the the cool thing is we were so young. I mean, I was 10 or 11 and my brother was 12 or 13 and it's, everybody was so cool to us, you know? I, and back then I loved it. I I would do a stage dive and they would pass me around the whole circle pit. Like people used the, the way people danced then was actually circle pit. It wasn't just like a gimmick, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, and uh, it was it was it was fucking rad. Yeah, because it's you're entering that world at a time when um, there no one at the show is going to bully you because you're like too young to even be bullied. Yeah, so it right. kind of it, it makes everyone just want to think you're cool and like treat you like the little brother of the show. Y- yes. Yeah. And then and then honestly, as as I started to play music and do things like that just having been a kid that was at, I mean, if I said every show, I mean, we, we, my mom would drive us to shows on school nights and literally just park outside while we went and watched the show and come like any show, punk, hardcore, anything related. We were there staples. And then by the time my brother started doing a zine, um, when, when I was in like seventh, seventh grade or eighth grade, and then his friend had a car. So then, we extended that to every show within three or four hour distance. And I mean, that was just like, I would get those demo. they would get demos to review. And then I would write every single band that I got a demo from. And the crazy thing is how many of those people are still friends of mine now? You know what I mean? Like Rob Fish, you know, from 108. Yeah. Like I ended up probably like, like Vic from Inside Out. I got that Inside Out demo and sent Vic a letter like this is amazing and i mean and then i ended up recording 108 with rob and vic <laughs> it's just right it's wow. insane yeah i mean it's it's no you know this isn't anything new to, to to talk about but like you know i feel like especially in this version of counterculture and punk and, and hardcore and whatever or whatever you want to call it like truly like the friends you make early on are kind of going to always be around because you can't really scrub this off of you. You know, like right. once, once you're tainted with it, it kind of sticks around. It's the yeah. same similar sort of like um, interesting thing where I think the first time I've had this conversation with a lot of younger bands, maybe who are about to tour Europe for the first time, 
where I tell them, I'd say the people you meet on your very first European tour are going to be there until you stop playing music. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I can, I fully, especially in Europe, it's like, yes. it's, and I, I think one of the reasons the Europe music scene is so strong is that one people stick with, stick with it and the venues stay, you know what I mean? So it's like, true. You know, Battery played Coney Island on our first tour ever. And it's like, be well, we'll play Coney Island in March. It's like, I mean, it's just, it's just a staple. And I think when you, when you have venues that are stable and like, and amazing places to play and they stick around, I mean, that scene is just, those scenes last. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, this is jumping back really far to where this this part of the conversation started, but I'm curious when you saw Suburbia, was Red Hot Chili Peppers already sort of in the in the culture? Like because I he, had I had is in the movie, right? I had never heard of Red Hot Chili Peppers, okay. so I'm sure they were, but yeah. I did you I, later go wait? That's the guy from Suburbia I, when you saw I, Red Hot. I, I did. Yes, I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, that's awesome. That's super cool. Um, so what do you remember what that first concert you went to was or first show? Yeah, it was Uniform Choice. Oh, that's right. And, you right. Yeah. Okay, and, right. And and it was it was amazing. I mean, I yeah. just I just remember grabbing them. I didn't know any of the words. I'd never heard any of the bands. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just lucked out like yeah. what a fucking cool um what a cool show and 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 i just kept grabbing the mic and screaming ah! <laughs> which i kind of i kind of love when people do you know what yeah. i mean it's just like you're in the moment you might not know the words but you want to be involved and uh it was it was it was really cool i also remember that there they had not the like classic uc shirt but they had a shirt that with a handwritten um, OC straight edge or OC hardcore, whatever it was. And I thought it said DC hardcore. So I bought it for that reason. And then oh, wow. later, it was an O not a D. So. Um, what do you think? Well, firstly, I'm still, I still can't get over the fact that the flaming lips played that show Were they like, and, and everybody's tied- they, no. They, and I just, everybody sat on the ground while they played. And then, then this band, a moral discipline that was a skinhead band, um, and their hit song was Redneck Stomp. <laughs> and uh, and then they played and then and then and then Soulside played. And then on, honestly, I loved Uniform Choice, but Soulside completely changed my life. I like that. Oh, uh, Swizz and Soulside were like the in-between band. They were like the younger bands that would also play with more of the hardcore bands. And I must have seen both of those bands. 20 times each i mean they were just always so so good yeah you know i feel like with the amount of influence that the obvious discord bands have on everybody um i i would go as far as to say that bands like soulside and and, uh and swizz like you can hear just as much influence from those bands if you really listen for it you know i I, I don't yeah i I don't know that they i don't know that they totally get the same level of credit you know like i think if someone is very in the know especially a band maybe from that part of the country you know right. you can hear it in bands like uh like give truth cold like bands oh like yes that, for yes. sure but yeah. but yeah it's like I, I i still don't know that they're fully as appreciated as they should be yeah i mean i think that um it, they are respected i think musicians 
really love those bands. I just I don't know that they ever got, you know, as as like the, I, the funny early, thing is iteration, I, early iteration of the band's band. I I think that um yes I think that Fugazi I hear so much soul side in Fugazi like totally. the the drums and bass and just the kind of like a little bit of that reggae thing in there um and uh, I, uh, I I I I I always think about like. I remember going to see Rage Against the Machine play Lollapalooza. First of all, I saw Rage Against the Machine. At, the first time I ever saw them was opening for Shudder to Think, talking about DC Discord fam. At the old 930 Club, which is 100, was 199 cap. Oh, my God. It was, it was just – it was just – it was amazing. But then – by the time the, that that summer Lollapalooza came around and um, Rage Against the Machine was like exploding, it was like the day before. Did remember they had they played um, in Philly and he like duct taped his mouth shut or something? Zach. That sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Since yeah. I all I remember is watching Rage Against the Machine play and it being like the craziest thing ever at Lollapalooza, and then Zach getting off stage and running to the side stage where um bobby sullivan's a new band rain like the sound of trains was playing and zach's running up front <laughs> and just singing along and like losing his mind watching them play after he had just played to you know thirty thousand thousand people yeah people yeah, yeah. and it was just like i i it's really cool like you, sometimes if you look at old soul side pictures like from because they would go and play with hardcore bands you know and then right. you see these photos from with like zach de la rocha standing on the side of the stage and it's just it's really cool. Oh, that's awesome. That's, yeah. uh, I think I told this story on a, on an episode a long time ago, but uh, where I live here in, uh, in Glendale, there's like a spot called fish King down the way. And I, like couple, like last year, two years ago or something, I was, <laughs> I was just in there grabbing lunch and I just looked over and he, and I saw him like having done or having lunch with, with someone who looked like it could have been a parent or something like that. And no. I just, like, it, was, it, it was one of those things where you look at me like that guy looks like Zach. That that is wow. Okay, and yeah. that's a conversation that I'm not going to interrupt. I'm just going to take that in and then walk out of here. Like, <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure he appreciated you just taking that in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> definitely not going to interrupt that conversation, especially with someone who looks like a parent, which is the worst yeah. thing you could possibly do. Um, well, yeah, they, they were they he he's he's amazing. They were so. That, that I mean, and I got look. I got to see Inside Out play, which like was the, that was the so best cool. show I've ever seen. Yeah, I saw them twice. Damn, that's yeah. that's incredible. Um, what was uh was because I know you play you play guitar, right? So you had yes. was guitar the first instrument that you played? Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I I guess so. Um, I I had already before I learned to play guitar. Really, I had. A, Battery had already, I had been singing in Battery. We had recorded our demo. Um, and then, um, I mean, it's kind of funny, but we did the, we did our demo and then they had written all the lyrics initially and it was all like, just not my style. Like I, even though I loved like the youth crew sound, I, I much more connected with like the DC, you know, like the introspective personal lyrical right. approach. And, and, and I started as we were writing new songs, I was writing and they didn't like my lyrics. Mm. So, so I quit and uh, which was a pretty, you know, 
looking back, like, what was I thinking? You know what I mean? Like, I was in this cool <laughs> band with these really good players that were... It was a weird situation because I was 14, 13 or 14, yeah. and they were, like, 18 or 19. So it was like there was already, like, a, a bit of a weird thing. And I was only singing in the band by accident. Um, Like, they hadn't planned to have me sing, but they didn't have a singer, and I went to all their band practices. And I started singing at band practice. And when right. they went to record a demo... To get a real singer, the engineer suggested that I do a pass of what I sang at band practice. And wow. that became the first battery record. So, but that we only played two shows and then the, and then the band was over. And then, so, and then my life like really fell apart. It was like, I was getting in a lot of fights and I got kicked out of school. Like I think three times in one year and I ended up in a, in the, in a mental hospital <laughs> and that's where I learned to play guitar because I didn't have anything else to do. So I literally wow. just sat there all day writing lyrics and writing riffs and writing, how'd writing. You a, how'd you get a guitar in there? They had, a, they had a, they had a guitar there. Like so some, it was like, like, like a therapy sort of thing. Just something. Yeah, yeah. Some sort of like crazy shit. And so, um, so yeah. So anyway, long story short, it was, it was, I got out of the hospital and then I went to, it's like, was this iconic Fugazi show that was down on the mall. There's like all these famous photos of it. And um, I bumped into a friend and he said, Oh, are you still doing battery? And I said, no. And he said, well, we have a new band. I have a new band and we're looking for a singer. And so it was, um, you know, there was no iPhone to like airdrop me the demo. <laughs> so, yeah, of course. Of course. so we hopped on the Metro and then took a bus and we went like spent like two hours getting back to the, his bandmates house who uh, turned out to be Matt Squire. Um, who's, you know, pr multi-platinum producer and, you yeah. know, lifelong kind of creative partner of mine. Um, but and we, we, we go back to his house and they played me, the, the songs and i was like i don't know how to sing sing <laughs> so i don't know that i can because it was very melodic yeah. um but i could i'll play guitar so we um so that was the beginning of ashes and uh, okay. the, at that time it was rise and my friend noah who had i had run into at the fugazi show who took me to matt's we played two shows and then he got struck by lightning and died Wow! So it was a fucking completely crazy. It was like all over the news. I mean, it's, it was like a huge deal in yeah. DC and then, um, took the summer away and I went to, um, stay in Martha's vineyard, like this beautiful Island in the North, um, Northeast with a friend of mine for a couple of weeks. And that's, I wrote a whole bunch of songs, came back and we, we turned our, Second guitar player moved to bass because we didn't want to add someone new, and that became Ashes. Okay, and so. the first I, I saw with that band Ashes, like the first release was on a a comp, like a, a seven inch comp, if that's correct, called like the Spirit of Solitude. Spirit of uh, Solitude. I think that Spirit of Solitude was a song from our demo. Um, oh, okay. I, so our the first release was there was a demo and it, the, the funny thing about the demo was we couldn't pay to play a show in DC. Like we could not, we, that nobody, it was like, we had a female singer. We were like, 
straight edge kids, hardcore kids. We did not sound like that. And it was just like, yeah, you're kind of painting yourself into a weird corner. Yeah. Where you're like, what do we, who do we play with? Yeah. And so then what, but so then what happened, which was crazy was my older brother went on tour with no escape and worlds collide. And he bought, he brought like 200 demos with him Mm -hmm. and he just started giving them to people and selling them at the merch table and all this stuff. And all of a sudden I started getting letters in the mail from people being like, I love this demo. Do you want to play in Scranton? (laughs) Do you want to do this? You know? And then when he was in California, he ended up playing it for like the new age records guys and Popeye from far side and all of these people. And they all, they all dug it. So we ended up, um, new age records and conversion records for a brief time had a, um, like a, a more melodic label called, um, called network sound so we ended up um signing you know i I don't know what that even means right yeah then but we deciding that they were going to put our record out and it was really cool so then we did our first seven inch with them and they when i was 15 we did our first tour and we went to the west coast before i was even old enough to drive and i think all the time like we played with that week we played with strife game face outspoken sense field far side unbroken mean season <laughs> like and, and what's cool some of those bands that you just named fit in closer with the music that you were making that maybe wasn't there wasn't a hundred yeah there wasn't a place for you maybe where you were at but yeah playing with far side that era that makes sonic sense playing yeah. with sense field 100 percent. yeah it's like and you guys were doing like the sort of you know, I'm sure the word emo was hardly even thrown around then, if not, you know. I, no, I don't well, the funny thing is back then, emo was like, you know, I was, ha- I was, we were emo. I mean, that was, emo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what that was at that. I mean, that was pre, you know, um, ironed hair emo. Oh, and... no, 1,000, 1,000%. <laughs> no, but I, I guess more so like, I, I don't know. I was curious if at that time, if that word was being used to describe what like would you guys have called yourself that or would you guys have called uh, yes. yourself like a punk I, band? I, w- no i would have said we're an emo band or okay. a hardcore band or yeah, a straight yeah, yeah. or whatever whatever it was but emo the first time i ever heard the word emo was when someone was describing right to spring and i mean w- I, that was my that was my favorite thing in the world so to totally. me if someone thought we were emo that was a, the best possible compliment right no for, for sure yeah so uh does so did you record the the ashes record on the west coast no we we didn't we did the ashes we recorded unfortunately none of the recordings are very good um you know they were all always done in like a day or two the demo was actually recorded with um jeff turner from gray matter and three who's like a amazing yeah. songwriter and he, and he was great and then for some reason we went somewhere else for we went with this like you know this guy that had recorded all this go-go music for the second one and that was kind of a weird situation and then when we did our last record we were insane we 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 literally like went to the studio to check at the do a studio tour and then the guy was like well i have instruments here if you guys want to just do it set right up. now so we just like recorded that night all night elena our singer came the next morning she sang and then we mixed it and wow. you know a day and a half later it was it was done 
Wow. It kind of kills me because everybody in that band was like very talented. And I mean, I think all the time about like, had we gone, not someone like me, you know, if we had gone in with like a producer and really worked on things, like I feel like that stuff would have been, um, would hold up better was than that it does. Within here. So like one of the questions I ask always is the first time you recorded. And I know you have, it sounds like you did a lot of like, demo-y type stuff but like what was the first time you went to a recording studio was it one of those times no it was the battery demo and um that was with barrett jones who um who he he recorded the first foo fighters record um oh, wow. and he did he did like an i am the avalanche um record and we think that it was in the house that he may have lived in with dave Grohl. <laughs> the studio but um he had he had an eight track i mean it was amazing how awesome of a job he did with just eight 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 tracks you know like it was unbelievable did you you have i mean like did you have like the early bug for it like did you see the the excitement of what recording was that first time no you know what's so funny that i've spent my life recording now is that in battery Ken was the recording guy in the band. And I just was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'm going to go to Subway and get it <laughs> like while you guys record. Yeah. And then in Ashes, it was Matt Squire. And then the I only even became interested in recording because the last Ashes stuff we ever recorded, we went to um, we went to Atlanta to record with Issa from Good Clean Fun. I don't know if you know him, but um, uh, not personally, but I'm, I know who he is. Yeah. And um, Matt's Squire, who was always the recording guy in the band, his brother lived in Atlanta. So he left to go see his brother. And I was the the guy all of a sudden. And Issa let me like sit up at the console and like hit record and track things. And I was just like, oh, my God, this it inspired me not only that I love doing it, but I also seeing Issa who you know was a peer of mine owning a studio i thought like you know he's a smart talented guy but like maybe i could do this as well and i had just dropped out of high school so i was like desperately um searching for something to do with my life and uh, found it Today's episode is brought to you by Deathwish Inc. For over 20 years, Deathwish has been the go-to label for emerging punk and hardcore. That continues today with recent releases from scene staples and promising newcomers such as Modern Life is War, Greet Death, Chastity, Converge, Frail Body, and more. Get 10% off all Deathwish music and merch in their store right now using the link deathwishinc.com slash thefirstever which automatically applies the discount and filters the site for all items included. Again, that is 10% off all Deathwish releases and merch at deathwishinc.com slash the first ever. Do you want a recommendation? Blacklisted, heavier than heaven, lonelier than God. A classic. It's so wild how young you were doing all of this stuff. Like, I feel like that is also just a different era. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy that you're like literally 17. Yeah. Going to Atlanta to record and, and all of this. And it's, man, I am just yeah. amazed by that. Yeah. And another, well, cool. We, we went, we went and, well, we were in Atlanta and went and saw Green Day play to like 30 people <laughs> at, the, at the old masquerade. 
which was holy fuck. <laughs> but yeah, so then I got yeah. home. I got I got home from that trip, and I was just like, oh, this is what I'm gonna do. And Matt Squire had already had like an eight track in his basement, mm-hmm. and I was lucky because it was right at the beginning of there being some less expensive gear available that was gonna to be my next question because i know you i saw you started salad days in like 94 so like yeah. what what were you building your stuff with like how were you finding the equipment to do this well, and where we, was, was it at your oh you were living with i think i read you were like living with friends and that's, that's yeah so so what we what we did matt had a bunch of stuff already and then i um we uh, we were really lucky there was like a great local like music store that still exists that sold like high-end recording like you could go to this place and buy like an analog tape machine back in the day which is like crazy crazy and the guys that work there were like career guys like really knew the stuff so initially i had gone thinking i would get like a half inch 16 track and the guy ended up talking me out of that and ended up kept convincing me to get ADATs, which was early on. And that afforded me, he said, you can start with two and you'd have 16 trucks, but you can build on to it if you want it. And I had like, so I bought like a Mackie board <laughs> and two ADATs. And then Matt had like a multi-effects reverb processor and a compressor. And that was it. That was like what we, what we had. And it initially we just had it in Matt's basement um, while he was still in school and Ashes was still active. And But then I moved to Boston, and that's where I first started doing it professionally. And that was in a house. Um, I lived with Trey from Death Wish, um, Ben from Ten Yard Fight and Bane, Pete from Mouthpiece, and this guy Sweet Pete and this woman Liz. So I literally I, – I slept on the floor in the dining room. And then the studio was just in the basement, and it was a wild scene. <laughs> You've blown my mind so much of this. This is so crazy. It's funny. I was the other person I was talking to this morning is Trey. He's like one of my best friends, and I didn't I didn't even realize that that was a thing. That's crazy. Yes, I, he would be up in the middle of the night eating peanut butter out of a. <laughs> that's a I, I'm I, not surprised by any of that. <laughs> but he was great, and it was uh, cool. I mean, it was an it was it was a lot of things kind of broke my way just because Boston was at the, it it was about to explode creatively in our world. You know, it was like all of those bands like cave in converge pieball, like, like all of that Bane, 10 yard fight, like Jejun, six going on seven, Kester. like so many bands were about to be formed. And I just kind of lucked out and was there and was like cheap enough that it was worth like, you know, taking a shot. But the funny thing is I got there and I couldn't, (laughs) it was like similar to ashes. Like I couldn't pay someone to record with me at first. And I was putting flyers up all over the place. And I finally ended up kind of almost had given up and I got this job at a video store and that's what I was doing. And I was a little bit embarrassed, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm going to open a studio. And then like, not a band. And then one day, um, Rama Mayo, who um, was the owner of Big Wheel Recreation, stopped by the house and Trey or to somebody was like, oh, there's a studio in the basement, showed it to him. And then, and this happened to me with a lot of projects. Like he said, oh, 
I would, you know, I was charging $10 an hour at the time. So yeah, <laughs> he, he said, Oh, I have this band cast iron hike that needs to do a demo and then they're going to do a record. And so they booked, he, that was my first paying client. And, um, and I lucked out because they're good. You know, they play right. well, they have great songs. They're well-respected people. They're, you know, and great bands just, I mean, like, I don't think, you know, maybe now there's ways to fix people that don't play well, but when you have two ADATs and a Mackie and, you know, enough mics to get the kit, like how well someone plays is, you know, really is going to dictate how good it comes out. So that, that, that demo came out so good that it ended up being the record. And, um, what do you attribute your, your like learning the process to, was it just like, Matt teaching you things and then other people that you had recorded with in the past, like picking up things that you saw them doing like between Issa and, and no, else. I mean, I, 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 it was just like winging it to be totally honest. Like, I, you know, like I, we, I, I, it was several years before I, I really knew what I was doing, sure. <laughs> but, but again, it's interesting because the real breakthrough for me with actually learning how to do things properly and knowing like there were things that I was doing that I was just like, you know, Matt and I used to just hole up in his basement and move mics around and, you know, experiment with things and tuning drums and things like that. But, um, Jake from cast iron hike, I ended up, um, we ended up moving in together and, and, um, one day he said to me, oh, my he, he, my dad is recording if you want to go check it out. His dad is this unbelievable songwriter named Dennis Brennan. And so we went to the studio where he was mixing his record. And it was this place called The Outpost that is, to this day, my favorite studio I've ever worked at. Wow. And, man, that guy was just – the g- g- owner just – was showing me everything he did. And it was just like, this is why I'm doing this. Do you hear this? Like, this is a DSer, <laughs> you know, like all this right. stuff I had never even heard. And I, I think people don't realize that back then there was no like YouTube on like yeah. how to EQ a kick drum. You know, there was no like, you know, there was no like re- online recording class. So, I mean, everything I knew up to that point was just, you know, by kind of luck or, and then all of a sudden I was in this amazing studio and the guy was just like, you know, completely helping me. And, and then what, what, what happened was a lot of the bands I was recording started to do well. And so when like Caven, you know, we were talking about Steve Brodsky, when I had recorded, you know, a bunch of their stuff at my studio, but the time, by the time we went to do Jupiter, we went to the outpost to record that. And it was, you know, it was the perfect situation because they tracked that whole thing live. And, and it was this huge, beautiful place that just completely catered to that. And then Jim was like, you know, help me get it all set up. And, you know, you kind of couldn't do wrong in that place. Right. So you kind of got, you started a relationship in that, in that studio and you were able to 
were you like did you like intern there at all like did you no i did i i I didn't intern but like he would he would basically like on you know he would kind of help me get set up and then he would leave you know and and i would just kind of and then honestly i just kind of mimicked every i mimicked like how he set things up but also like the gear you know like like there weren't like online forums where you could find out what was cool and what wasn't. So I honestly just bought everything he had. (laughs) I gotta say, I gotta say, Brian, like your um, confidence is, is pretty impressive because that's a, that's like a big task to put on to where it's like, you're like, no, I'm going to record this band. And like, you're still kind of learning as you go. Oh yeah. And and the fact that you're like going to the outpost, you're letting this guy, you know, kind of help you set the things up and then you're like, okay, bye. And then you're like, now I'm going to do it. Like, yeah. And, and so many of those records we're talking about are like records that are still household, you know, like names. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, I, it was really, I was fortunate in that he was, is really good. I mean, he's like, you know, he's a gifted engineer and mixer and the studio was amazing. And, you know, it was just a, I mean, the the thing is, it's like, I didn't know at all. Like, I think that if I had realized how important all of that stuff was, I don't think I would have had the confidence, (laughs) but it was kind of like, there weren't other options. Like if you were, if you were like, a young band that was like coming up and, and, and you didn't have a lot of money and you really wanted to work with someone that cared a lot and understood what you were going for. I mean, I, th- those things I did have, I cared a lot and I, and I really like the time and passion that it took. I was willing to put that in and I didn't care at all about money. So it was like kind of, pairing that with a little bit of like experience and the guidance from someone like Jim that was so good was just a really special combination. And it was also nice for me because it was like, I've always had this thing where I've never wanted a band. Like I've never like, you know, you work hard on a record bands have loyalty to you. Right. So I, I, I never wanted a band to have to make a, a, a quality sacrifice in order to work with me. Like I, I, I always hated the idea of that. So early on having the outpost as an option was great because there wasn't a better place. And, and it was like this perfect combo. But then as I kind of, as salad days become, you know, as I built it up, it, I always wanted to have the better stuff and better console and better gear and like all of that. And, so that people weren't making a sacrifice just because we were friends or they felt obligated to. Um, I always, and, and, and that's, you know, that, and I think that they always appreciated that as well. So just so I understand, and that makes, that makes total sense. And so, and so what, so, so I understand this with salad days, cause I saw, you know, like quote unquote started in 94. So did it originally start, in the dc area then or did it originally start in boston um, or so so we had it in matt's basement we were to record friends but it was not they didn't have like it wasn't you know an actual studio until boston in 94 so you just took the name moved it to boston and i i started calling it that in boston when 
I had a band that was like, what's the name of the studio? It's like, oh, Saladay's. Okay. And <laughs> so, so, and then you said it was originally in that basement that you lived in the house with like Trey and Sweet Pea yeah. and all that. Is that where it stayed when you continued? To no, no. Okay, so so, what, so where was it? At the end of that first year. So what was crazy was we went from like nobody to like overnight, like by you know, what started at, by the end of that first year that I had that in the house with Trey, I had recorded cave in, um, no, uh, piebald Texas is the reason converge. I mean, just so many, so many bands and that literally the, I, I was booked seven days a week by the end. And yeah. so again, like luckily I didn't, know what i didn't know but i ended up renting a commercial space and my wife and i built it out like hung all the drywall and and built the second iteration of salad days and that was also in boston okay and that 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 was also a just a really magical that's where i did the 108 record we did um petitioning the empty sky there the First Bane stuff, Ten Yard Fight, uh, Promise Ring, Texas is the Reason, um, Prima. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of records. But then Matt and I had started a new band, and Battery was still happening. Like, Battery had gotten back together, and we let, we recorded the Battery until the end record there as well. What did you find when you went from playing guitar in Ashes to back to being a singer, like an action, you know, the actual singer of the band? Because obviously your first experience was like, I don't even know if I'm in this band. I'm singing other people's lyrics. And that's, you know, the early iteration of you being in battery. So then you you rejoined the band and now you are the singer. And what uh what did you find between guitar player and singer like that you liked or disliked? Did you well, what, what we were, think? I was doing both Ashes and Battery existed at the same time at that time. Okay. Um, Ashes, uh, playing guitar is a lot less stressful than singing. <laughs> singing <laughs> yeah. is, is, it's, I, I, I still to this day, I just get super nervous and it's very, but it's rewarding in a, in a way that playing guitar wasn't. And also, the battery shows were very crazy and intense and it was just like, wow, this is, you know, this is, but we battery, like we had gotten back together, had an offer to record a record. And then my first, my first tour with battery was actually in Europe when I was 17. Holy shit. And so that shit was crazy. That tour was like, like, like the first show was 800 people. And I mean, I, I had, I don't know that I had ever been to a hardcore show that was that big in my life. And then here we are our first show ever. And it's like, you know, and then the second show of the tour was two people. <laughs> so it was like, wow. very it quick, was like very all the fuck over experience. The place. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, then at that, and then, and it was like, we were playing in these squats that are now very nice venues. Totally. Um, and we would play and then they would set up like cots on the floor in the venue where we just played Stay, yeah. and there are beer bottles all over the floor and we would sleep there. And it was like, yep. I mean, literally I was like, I am never fucking doing this again. This is, this is insane. And yep. it was like, 
it was a cost of fortune to call home. There was no cell phone. There was no totally. email. Like, I mean, it's like, it was just completely, um, it was completely crazy time. And, um, so yeah, I was doing both things and I loved both of them for different reasons. And honestly, like battery was not like, I didn't write any of the music in battery. So I, it was like my, I wrote the lyrics, Ashes was, but I, in Battery, I was so much younger than everybody else. Ashes was like my your friends, little your gang, contemporary. my yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, and then we got back from Europe and Ashes was doing really well. And we did a full U.S. tour. So that, you know, that, that 93, 94 period of my life was just like the studio opened, Battery toured, Ashes toured, like just so many like really pivotal things happened. Yeah, your life um, was like nonstop creative music constant like all yeah you're you're busy you're a busy busy person um yes. i don't know if we actually actually i don't know if, if we we caught this and and what was the very first show that you ever played the very first show was um battery open for sick of it all at the safari club not and a, it not was, bad <laughs> no and it was it was it was amazing it was um, the coolest thing i this is fun i i uh this is a fun question i like to ask singers but um, what do you remember from performing live that first time? Because it, like, like I always say with people, it's like, especially in, if you're in a punk or hardcore band, um, you don't know what your body's going to do. You don't know how you are going to react, like what your stage moves are. You don't know how any of that is. So like, what do you well, remember? From I, I had been, I had been practicing my stage moves since I was like, you know, I used to come home from school and lock myself in my bedroom and pretend I was the singer of a band, you yep. know, yep. for years and years of my life. So I was pretty fucking ready for that moment. Um, yep. I don't remember a lot about that show, except sure. I being super nervous and there were like a couple people up front singing along and it was like the coolest thing ever. And then I just remember my um, my uh, good friend, this guy, Pat Daughters, who has gone on. I mean, to he does like done like, yeah, yeah, yeah. video, Adele videos like he's a very wow. successful. Cool. He took a bunch of photos and I remember going to school on Monday and like we like raced to the you know school darkroom and developed them. And it was like, wow, this it was just really cool. That's sweet. That's a very sweet yeah. story. Uh, how did you like touring? Like with your first tours? Like did you did you like the adventure? I mean, I, you, I I I I I hated it. I was very homesick, and I have, um, I had um, I have I have a lot of. I've, it's better now, but I had a lot of sleeping problems back then, and so there was nothing worse than like lying on a cot you know, in the middle of a smoky, dirty room and you just can't sleep. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like every, uh, every uncomfortable element is amplified as world. loud as it possibly could be when you can't sleep. Yes. And, and so, so it, it was hard for me and I, I was, you know, definitely at first, it's funny cause I ha I have journals from all of that, that, uh, that, that era and it's just everything's like I couldn't sleep last night, you know, like I could. And um, I mean, it was cool. Like it was one of those things where I spent the whole tour going, I'm never doing this again. I got to go home. I got to get home and then got home. Like, when are we going again? So grass is you know, always greener situation always. And, and then, but then the second battery tour we did over there, the band had gotten pretty popular and we were on a tour bus and that helped a lot. Wow. So yeah. yeah, that was with Unbroken 
And that was, um, you know, just having like a place that was the same place every night. And, uh, you know, I could go and read and, you know, it was just, I, it was a, took a lot of the, the edge off of, of that. That's crazy that you guys had a bus that early on. That's why. Yeah. I mean, they weren't nice, you know, sure, but it was yeah. a bus. It was but a bus. It, and my favorite thing about being on the bus was that I love to like, I hate being touring and like, you know, you get up, you drive all day, you get to the venue for sound check and you're, you don't see the city at all. So like we would drive overnight and then wake up in the city and then I'd have the whole day to run to around. Explore. And, yeah. You know, explore. So yeah that's that's the uh that's the upside the the and it's the and especially like with europe at least a lot of those venues have places you can shower you know i'm sure i don't know if they were back then but uh you know we showered the best we could (laughs) but yeah but 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 yeah and the other thing that's so cool about europe is often the venues are in like really cool parts of town so it's not like you know you're you know on a strip mall in the middle of nowhere so it's like you're you was able to see the world. I mean, before the first Ashes tour, I hadn't been on an airplane since I was eight months old. When I was eight yeah. months old, I had an, a, an allergic reaction to penicillin and it ended up, they had to like medevac me to the hospital. I was in a coma for 48 hours. Oh my God. <laughs> so my parents were just like, we're never flying. So yeah. up until the f- first Ashes tour and then the second flight I ever went on was Battery to Europe. So it was like, I mean, music was my, uh, that's how yeah. I got around. So with that, the third battery record, the whatever it takes record, um, with that coming out on rev, uh, I mean, it sounds like you already had made so many friends within that world and stuff, but like, was getting to put a record out on rev, like, uh, kind of, a a stamp of not even like approval, but like this excitement, like I've done it, like I've made it, like I get to be a part of this world. Yeah. So yes. I mean, the thing is I had recorded a couple things for Rev at that point. Totally. Um, The interesting thing is it was a bad decision professionally (laughs) (laughs) because we were on this label in Europe called lost and found that is like infamous for like ripping people off and bootlegs and all this stuff. But the thing that they did was they pushed the band a lot and it was like, you know, every city we went to there was an ad in the paper we were doing interviews every night there were records in the stores and displays and like they were really pushed the band and like europe was our biggest market we we did really 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 well there and then we went to rev and bless their hearts they tried but they just weren't there they didn't have a european thing and it was almost like the record didn't come out so i was excited about it um, the, but I don't know for the band, it didn't end up being, um, you know, everything we hoped it would be. Um, the a really interesting thing about the revelation thing is that Matt Squire and I had started this like rock band called Milltown and yep. we signed weeks before battery signed to revelation to, a subsidiary of Warner brothers called revolution. (laughs) Whoa. And revolution ended up revelation ended up suing revolution 
and it became this like big deal. Like um, the guy that owned Revolution was Irving Azoff, who is like I think he owns like Ticketmaster. He manages yeah. like yeah. the Eagles and Christina Aguilera and you know all the yeah, shit. That and name is notorious. So they they Revelation won and Revolution changed the name to Giant Records and and the, the Revelations their argument was you're not only your name isn't just similar but the Revolution was trying to sign Texas as the reason had signed Milltown and had signed uh, Manuel Surrender, which was one of the guys from yep. Chain of Strength. So they were they were they were saying, you know, this is the name is close, and you're like going after our clients, and they won. And I can't believe they were able to win that because it's two totally different words. And also, did they have you under like an artist contract where it's like you can't put out? Or- I, I had a, a thing in our contract that because the bat the revelation thing was the wheels were already in motion with that and yeah. i wouldn't have signed with revolution if i couldn't have done battery and did the um, mill did the milltown record come out because when i it never it never got finished because yeah you did it, the you did the record on hydrahead and then you did the split right yes so we did that and then we went in and it's funny, it's like, you know, the experience where I learned what not to be as a producer. <laughs> we went, we got kind of like, you know, A&R people will, will say things to the bands that make, that sound good in theory, but aren't you, so you're good lying. in practice. You're lying. No way. So, Are you kidding so me? So they, <laughs> they, the singer in Milltown was amazing. He's really like a one of a time talent as a vocalist. Yeah. And they, they, the, in Milltown, you know, between Matt Squire and I, we had like a really clear sonic vision for like the way we wanted it, the color and the feel of the band. So the label people basically said, you know, we had all these producers that we wanted to work with and they were like, no, 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 no. We need someone that's really good with vocals and you don't need someone that has that approach to the sonics because you already have that down and in our minds that was like oh that makes a lot of sense i mean even saying it now maybe that makes sense but what ended up happening is we went in with this dude who had done like a ton of allison chains and jerry cantrell and he hated we wanted it raw and live feeling and we wanted it kind of like you know like like to have energy and be like a little bit edgy. And he wanted to take those songs and like put sitars and just do all this stuff. And it's like, he just didn't get the band at all. And it caused, yeah, it caused, he didn't have any creative contributions. Everything he wanted us to do was bad. And the demos we had done were way better than the record. So we spent like, three hundred thousand dollars and one day just came into the control room and the dude was like packing up his shit and we're like what's going on he's like oh i got the corn record (laughs) i'm leaving holy fuck we're like oh fuck so but like you know would that have been what what year is that i don't this is 96 maybe it was a big corn record i don't i don't i'm not that familiar with corn no yeah i'm wondering i'm wondering what if if he was an engineer on it or something like that i'm god i'm so curious because yeah 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 the guy's the guy's name was toby Wright. um so i don't know you know um i don't know which records but it it ended up like the label 
in in their defense, they were basically like, we love the band. We don't love this record. You're right that this, you know, was the wrong thing. And they 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 were like, if you guys write some more songs and have some singles, we'll basically let you go back in with whoever you want to go back in with. Right. So we were meeting like I really wanted to do the record with John and Yellow, who, you know, had done like Dinosaur Jr. And, totally. you know, he's yep. he's and and um he would have been the perfect guy, like yeah. the rawness, the energy. And then also just like that Zen spiritual elder, like where Toby was like splitting the band and pitting people against each other. We really needed some like spiritual guidance <laughs> more than sonic guidance. And uh, he did not have that at all. And he hated me. And he loved Matt Squire because Matt Squire could play guitar solos, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But we met. We met with. We met with John and Yellow. We met with um, Bryce Goggin, who um, who did like the um, a Lemonheads uh, push button car cloth. Just a bunch of people that had made like more like um, soulful yeah music rec- records that, 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 that made that, sense with what you guys were doing. So did that record end up? existing there, no so what happened was you know you send you send a bunch of people <laughs> that managerless band and matt squire and i are 18 19 everybody else in the band is 27 28 into studio to try and write singles and i mean it's it was combustible and wow. it ended up with a physical altercation <laughs> and um we did not, most of us did not talk again for Damn. 20 years until we just recently played with Caven. Meltdown did? Yes. Oh, Two wow. years, I guess, not recently, like pre, right pre-pandemic. I didn't realize so we, that. We played, a re, yeah, two reunion shows with Caven in Boston. And they were great. And it was good. I, honestly, it was good because it was like nobody punched each other and it was all <laughs> positive. We kind of like, the bar you know, was closed. The bar was low. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, the record, you know, all we have of that record is like a cassette rip of of rough, shitty, rough mixes. But it it, it you know, it, it kind of breaks my heart because it was like a very talented group of people in a very cool band. And all we have are like live demos. Like the the Hydrahead thing, you know, that they put out was just a live demo. And you, you can know, hear, no overdubs. I mean, you can hear uh how much promise i felt like that that seven inch has like yeah it, it sounds real i mean you look at the the year it came out and just the quality of of that and it's crazy that's kind of just like a live demo because it sounds very polished in a way which is a funny word to use for something like that but yeah well it's funny it's like live t- so back then i didn't really have any gear so every rec every recording session like all those early sessions where it's the whole band in the room amps facing the drums and just letting it all bleed it was the only way oh my god all all of that stuff was recorded that way and it was like (laughs) that was the only way i could get it i didn't have that's the only way i could have it feel like big and exciting so so i I just you're saying like petitioning the empty sky uh holding this moment stuff like that those records are all like yep everything is bleeding yep and 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 uh i i went when we yeah it was it was it was i can't remember petitioning the empty sky because i think kurt kurt was such a big 
you know, huge part of like how we approach that because he wasn't recording bands then, but he had really cool ideas. And yeah. so that, that could be that that one was a little bit different, but for a very long time, that was how I did every session. It was just like, everybody's in the room. Maybe you overdub, you know, double, double guitar after maybe a couple leads, but it was almost always live. Right. Jesus Christ. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, this is a uh, this is going to be fun for me and hopefully not painful for you. But what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to um, very quickly look at uh, remind myself of records you've done and just ask a question or two about random. OK, ones. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good, because <laughs> I mean, it's like I've like I said, your your name has been notorious for so many of these albums that I've I've loved my whole life. And it's just when I went through and was like looking at I mean, I, I guess the first question is like. When I look at a year like, say, you know, I mean, it kind of feels like all of them, like between starting from like, honestly, like 1996, it's or it's like you're doing so many in a row, so many in a row. And I guess the first question could be like, what do you remember was like the longest session that you ended up having? Because it seems like all of these were probably pretty short sessions, live recordings, like you're saying, like, do you remember a band like what the first band was to be like? we want to take time on this. Yes. Um, the first, the first record that we, the first record that I really spent like a lot, a lot of time and like did pre-production and like went to the rehearsal space and really got involved on that end was, um, six going on seven, seven, um, not, uh, heartbreaks got backbeat. Hmm. So I had done, I had done um, self-made mess with them um, already. I, are you familiar with that band? I, I, I'm, I know them as 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 like they. Uh, I know they have. A, I'm pretty sure they have a split with maybe Hot Water Music. Is Hot, that Hot Water? Yeah. 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 Yes. yeah. So um, they. They. I was living in a house with Jake from Cast Iron Hike, Jonah the singer from Milltown, and Josh singer from Six Going On Seven. So mm-hmm. we. Um, we you were uh, able to work on it because you're living together. Yeah. And we just like the rehearsal spot was like a mile down there. And I loved the band. And so it was like that Milltown had just had just ended. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had like the one thing that came from the Milltown thing was even though the guy didn't have ideas, I would never even heard of pre-production before sure. that. So it was kind of like all those early records. It was like you my creative contribution would be like sonics and maybe like a vocal harmony or performance stuff but i had never like gone and really like worked on the arrangements and really like worked on the tunes with the band until that record and um and then we we spent like 3 weeks tracking it which was like you know typically i would have done like 3 or 4 records <laughs> in 3 sure. weeks and so that was, that was a, that was a, that was, that, that was the first, I feel like I kind of like the first record I really feel like I produced, produced and, sure. um, and it, it, it's a really, it's really cool. Actually. Um, I know you've toured with thrice a bunch, but Schumacher, Schumacher always tunes the PA to that record. Oh, that's awesome. Then, then I've definitely, yeah. then I've definitely heard it. That's funny. Which is very flattering because yeah. I'm, he's amazing, but yeah. that it really does sound Good. And it's it's funny because it's like, I mean, like I said earlier, when bands are really good and they really play well, you kind of have to get in the way to have it not sound good. Like you right. have to, you know, like they, they were really, they were really good players and the, the record 
I'm still I still can't believe how good it turned out. I mean, it's what, just like goddamn. What about uh what what was your kind of like so I I know him a little bit just from like internet friendships and stuff like that, but like someone who uh, a band in general that was very notorious, but someone who like vocalist was very notorious. Like, how was it going and recording a band like Drowning Man, where Simon Brody was a character? Uh, like, was that a difficult process maybe for like recording a band that was uh, a bit wild? Um, I, no, I mean, I don't know. Like the, the Drowning Man, that was much more of like how I did things early on. Like, you know, we didn't do like pre-production and things like that. We just kind of like, which I think is appropriate with that band. Cause I mean, part of the balance of being a producer is knowing that no two bands are the same. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, like you might have like, you know, six going on seven records, essentially, you know, an early emo kind of pop, you know, and, and there was room to develop those songs and work on the arrangements was training, man. I was just like, you know, this shit's wild. <laughs> Get out of the way. Yep. Hit record, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Simon's a super interesting guy. The funny thing is, I, uh, my only recollection of the drowning man record was that my two inch tape machine broke and I was stressed out of my mind trying to get it fixed. <laughs> it sounds like things could have been a lot worse. That's awesome. <laughs> um, what about, uh, here's a funny question. Cause I don't know. And I know it's going to come up when I talk to Brodsky, but like, um when you went in to do jupiter like was it secretive that they had changed so much and that no no because um because we had done creative eclipses right and that was all kind of singing too and i think that was kind of like the 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 tease of what was going to come no but the thing about jupiter is that i I still think all the time about how i mean those guys are impressive on every level I can think of. Like, you know, just, but I think the most impressive thing was they're coming off until your heart stops. That was a just complete game changer record. It was like a record that was like nothing I had ever heard in my entire life. I feel like they made a record that just changed the game. You, you can listen to a, a band doing that sound right now that is probably 40 times bigger than that than caven ever was and you can listen to it and be like yeah this is cool but literally this was done even better 25 years ago <laughs> you know what i'm right. saying it's crazy it's crazy how ahead of that time at the time that record is yes and and it it um and then they followed it up with jupiter and they were just completely fearless and unfazed and not worried at all what the reaction was going to be like just this is what we're doing and like you know i I mean jupiter the thing thing about that is like that they just that was all live the whole thing all the music was live i think there is there is a one acoustic guitar overdub, but the rest of it is literally two guitars, all the pedals live, no overdubs, no click track, no editing, nothing. And then we went to my house in DC to record the vocals. And I think that there's like a, just one vocal track, <laughs> like pretty much on the whole record, even the like 
and you know the Jupiter you see me that like overdub thing yeah, yeah, yeah. we actually recorded Steve's lead vocal well, I had just bought that that green line six pedal had just come out and so we recorded like his vocal track into that and then on another track like played that onto tape oh, wow. where it was supposed to be so it wasn't like he even overdubbed a vocal like that that record is just I mean yeah I, you it, know it's it, it gives it, me chills to this day like where it's like this is there's still not any other bands that sound like this there's a few bands around that era that tried to do similar things but yeah but it's just it's a record like nothing else and it's funny they've done you know they've done um now quite a lot of shows of like playing until your heart stops stop to finish but i'm like give me that jupiter start to finish tour. yeah like come on yeah it would it would it would be so cool and i mean i don't know like i just it's like they that record for me was like completely changed it it like it opened my eyes to like guitar effects mm. in a way that I had never thought, like I had never really worked with a band that had been like guitar effect heavy in that way. And then you realize like, my God, with all these cool like effects and the pitch shifter delay and all this stuff that I would then end up going on to steal and use on tons of other records. Sure. Um, like how huge it sounded and how different it sounded. And I, um, you know, like Steve is just, he's, he's, they're all brilliant. I mean, they all play awesome and they all get along awesome. Yeah. And you, I feel like you can really like hear that synergy, you know, on the recording. Um, and we did that at the outpost um, right. that we were talking about earlier. And it was just the perfect, perfect place. That's incredible. What about, uh, what about when, cause you know, look at the, look at the records. Was it exciting for you to take, sonic shifts and like do a record like do a band that doesn't sound like anything you've done before like for example and i know he plays in you plays with you in a be well but like doing darkest hour for example because you did the mark of judas and so sedated like um had you yeah, not, had you I, done any straight metal bands at that point i don't think so right i hadn't um you know n- no to, to be totally honest uh, the metal stuff was always really hard for me mm. because i the sound that is appropriate is not a sound I particularly like doing. Mm. Um, but I loved Darkest Hour and I loved, I had not ever heard music that quite sounded like that at the time. Sure. And I loved the guys. So that was a fun, but again, like, I don't know that pe- like when we did Mark of the Judas recording, like a Swedish style me- death metal band on two inch tape with no editing, <laughs> no, no right. click track. And what is, is, you know, you can't, now I realize like, oh, now I listen to At The Gates and I realize like, oh, I know how they did that. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the, you know, just the, live off the floor. <laughs> right, right, right. I was just saying, yeah, like the, the, the funny thing about a lot of that metal stuff is like how really polished it is. And that's kind of the sound of it. But I do, I think that what made a lot of people love Darkest Hour, especially the Mark of Judas and So Sedated, is that it is a band doing the at the gates thing, but it sounds like dudes that probably listened to crust punk at some point in their life. Uh, Yes. And it's funny that you say that because I loved that about dark Tower, and it was totally fine on, on, on Mark of the Judas. When we did so sedated that I think that they were starting to be like, we kind of want to go less like that and more in like a slicker thing. And that was the record that ended with, a lot of maybe some tears and maybe some 
you know, relationships that needed to be (laughs) repaired later, you know? Sure, sure. Um, And uh, the last one I'm going to punish you about just for, I actually know it, there's two. Uh, So we toured with, uh, with Strike Anywhere in like 2000, it was like the first time we ever did a full Canada, it was a Strike Anywhere in Bain. And uh, I waited until I got to know those guys a little bit before I pulled them aside and started punishing them a little bit about records. And I got to say, like, Exit English is like one of my favorite sounding records. And oh, again, very cool. that was one of those things where it's like, man, I love the way this album sounds. And then I looked at the back and I was like, of course, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so uh, what was it like? Because for me, you know, I was already and I know you had to work with them before that and like changes the sound and all of that. And I love those records, but to me, those records were clearly just a melodic punk and hardcore band. Whereas I felt like Exit English was a melodic punk, punk hardcore band with choruses, with like hooks. And yeah, and I can hear that influence in so many other bands. I mean, like I could look, I could listen to like Rise Against and say like this, this was like a a map for like what Rise Against ended up doing. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, was that, I was think, that, was that in your head when you guys were making that? Um, I don't know. I mean, not consciously like first I will say I love strike anywhere. So they're like, honestly, one of my favorite punk hardcore bands of all time. Sure. Like, so I feel so lucky to, um, have them in my life and been able to help with so many records. But I think that at the time we did, um, at the time we did Exit English, I was like, I was in like probably one of the best creative places in my life. Um, I had just finished Thrice, The Artist in the Ambulance, and major label record. Just finished, I'm sure that was yeah, yeah. We just just finished. Um, you know, Hot Water Music, Caution, the, the Hot Rod Circuit, Sorry About Tomorrow, like a lot of like big records, really, really, you know really important records i feel like i had kind of like come into my own like i was feeling like a lot more kind of confidence and i think that that the guys not that the i think they always trusted me but i think that it was like a little bit more like okay like you know this is serious like you know we're gonna work really hard on this and and the, the funny thing about that record was i was i we took a break before mixing i was just getting married so it was like a real crazy time in my life and then um (laughs) thomas with that record had lost his lyric book oh no so he had showed up and didn't have words (laughs) and i was like very you know frustrated with him about that and so i um you can't really get mad at thomas you know because he's the sweetest person you've ever met yeah (laughs) exactly I, i I told Thomas, any day you show up to the studio and you don't have lyrics, you have to paint a room in my house. <laughs> so <laughs> he ended up painting most of my house. Holy and, uh, shit. Yeah. That's incredible. Great. Here's a, here's yeah, was, this, uh, not to dis, not to distract from this story, but a good Thomas story that I like to share is uh, we, the last day of that tour. So it was during the, um, it was one of the years when it was like Lakers versus Celtics. And I'm not even a big basketball guy, but it's very easy to um, get in, get in like the rivalry aspect. Cause it was us and Bane on tour together. So, right. So like every night it was the funniest thing. The game would be on while the bands were playing. So like they would be giving us score updates during our set. 
and we would be doing the same for them every night. Oh my God. <laughs> and that's amazing. So the last, the last night of the tour or one of the last nights of the tour was one of the last was the final game. And we had played in Montreal, which historically is very bad for bands getting their shit stolen. Um, okay. And so we were playing this venue, the underworld, which was a notorious venue for bands, literally getting their van and trailer stolen, like during the show or like right after the show. So, uh, we all wanted to run and catch the game, but we were scared about leaving our shit there. So Thomas uh, catches that we all want to watch this game together. And there's like a bar down the street. Um, so he he comes up to us. He's like, guys, you go enjoy yourselves. You go watch the game. I'll do perimeter. And he literally walked perimeter of the van and trailer holding a hammer for two hours. <laughs> it was just, oh my it was the God. hardest thing that i've ever seen it's funny because again he is the sweetest person you've ever met in your entire yeah. life and you can you can never imagine him harming a soul but it's like you know that that's in him too that to just like protect people yeah he's he's amazing i, I love that guy that's an amazing story yeah that's great yeah so yeah so he painted my house and then <laughs> and then and then and but it, it, it was very unlike him because he's so serious about his lyrics. But, I mean, I love that record. The funny thing about that record is I think that they have grown to love that record. I think that sonically they, like, were not completely comfortable with it. I think they thought it was maybe a little slick at the time. But I, now they love it. I do remember Eric, when I talked to Eric about it because I complimented the drum. I think the drums sound so fucking good on the record. And he, I remember him saying that was the first time I think he had played to a click. And Well, the interesting yeah. thing about that record, and I still think it was the, probably the right call for that, is we actually tracked all the mid-tempo and slow parts to a click and all the fast stuff not to a click and okay. put it all together oh, okay. which was kind of wild and yeah. we tracked it we tracked it all to tape so it was like it was a really wild you know yeah it was kind of a wild operation yeah <laughs> but yeah it's crazy I, that, I, man man it's wild that thomas didn't have lyrics because so many of those so many of those songs are some of like his best lyrics and maybe that's that yeah that's something that um calls to when you have that fire under your ass and you have to produce something you get some of your best stuff uh from yeah 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 he and and uh those guys said that they found like a whole like so that um he would just stay up all night with matt sherwood um and i, I just let them use the studio and they would like demo it and get it all sorted out and get it all worked out and uh but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I love that record. I mean, yeah, to the world, to the world. I, I was like, I, on a the playlist I listen to almost every day still, man, so. that, uh, I am not, I have not, and had not been, uh, someone who moshes at moshes at shows, uh, in quite a long time. But even on that tour, like when they would play that song, I would, I would go mosh during, right after our set. <laughs> I know the, the, the thing is, man, they have so many great songs and, yeah. they, and they're such, they're such good guys. And like, I, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's funny for me to like think about, and I, it, I mean, we first worked together in 1999, mm -hmm. you know, like almost 20, 24 years of making records together. And it's like, I still, still gives me chills to see them listen to them i mean it's pretty incredible yeah uh okay last one i'm gonna last band or whatever i'll i'll uh, I'll, I'll bring up is because it, it's an interesting shift i think like in your career and i wonder if you feel that way too where you were doing all these records and and it was a lot of you know punk hardcore melodic punk hardcore type stuff 
but then you did the Circa records and I don't even, I don't know if you caught this, but like the name of the Anthony Green episode is like, some people went to college. We went to Brian McTernan. Yeah, uh, I, li- I did listen to that episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, uh-huh. and, and that, you know, I feel like once you did the record with the, the Circa stuff, like, did, did you feel that that opened your career up to more, to like different sounding stuff and like different record labels and like all of that? Like, th- does that, does that feel like something that happened? Well, so to me, I thought Circa was kind of like, I don't know, reminded me of like Engine Down and Caven a little bit. So it didn't yeah. seem, it didn't seem that crazy to me. Um, and, um, I was a huge say, like I heard Seosin and I heard Anthony's voice and it's like, it's pretty rare that you hear something that you've never heard before. Totally. Like I, I, I was just completely enamored, like really like, wow, this kid has got something yeah. super special. And then, um, and I can't remember how it happened. I think Dan from equal vision, they hadn't, ne- when we did Juturna, they had never played a show. Like, oh, that's right. That's right. So, um, and I didn't know any of them, really. I think I had maybe talked to Anthony um, a little bit before, but I didn't know them. But Circa was kind of, it was a perfect combination because they were all hardcore kids. So it was like, even though they didn't, they were much similar, like, like I'm a hardcore kid, but what I listened to when I was, you know, <laughs> I was super into like, Jeff Buckley and The Cure and Elliot Smith. Like, I wasn't, like, you know, driving around. Like, I was, what I was influenced by creatively wasn't just hardcore either. So I Which think it ended up being. how you ended up being, with Ashes, exactly. Right. And yeah. and they, and they, it was, I, I, I feel like I, it was like I was the right person at the right time for them mm-hmm. in that they had all of this really special stuff, but like, you know, the songs were really long and, and Anthony, um, you know, Anthony had, I mean, is a once in a whatever talent. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, I can't think of very many people have changed the scape of music the way that Anthony green has, but he was a diamond in the rough in a lot of ways where, I mean, he, like I just remember talking to him about like songwriting and like implied rhymes <laughs> and things like that that I, like he hadn't thought of you hadn't thought about and it was like I felt like I was a really good person at that moment in his life to help bridge him towards like from where from potential to like actuality in some ways and um and the thing that was cool about Anthony is that he was really into like. Oh, like you know he loves like piebald and engine <laughs> down and it's like he he had we had a lot of the same we really connected and 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 that was a tough record uh, and i mean when you have every single member of that band is brilliant and super creative and when you try and take all that and harness it and with a bunch of people that actually don't know each other, you know, they, they hadn't toured together. They hadn't like, right. There's that bond that comes when you, when you really grind and, and, and they, they hadn't, hadn't played, yeah. they hadn't played. And so it was like, there was no way they, they, they weren't even sure. Like, what is this? How is it going to connect? And um, so it was, and they were also not, nobody in the band was like a really experienced 
person at making records. So like, it's funny because Steve, who, I mean, is one a incredible drummer. Like it was hard to get him kind of like where he needed to, you know, like the, yeah. there, it, there was just, it, we not butted heads, but it was a, it was, it was a, it was a tough one. Yeah. And, Cause Colin, I mean that, cause Colin had played drums in this day forward with Brendan and, yeah. and then like, yeah, Nick was the bass player in taken, but like, you know, they, those bands toured, but not, to the level that like Circa ended up obviously touring, you know, and like, and we, we worked on like none of them. I don't think had ever had anybody come in and like, be like, why don't we try the song like this? (laughs) And, um, and they were cool with it, but it was, it was, it was, it was tough. It was a tough at moments. It was tough. Um, but I, I mean that, you know, that, that I'm really proud of those records. I'm really proud of, those people for what they've done in their careers i mean they they are um and and that record did change a lot i mean i think you know i think of like thrice illusion of safety and circus survived juturna as like really big kind of like kind of like game changers in terms of my career you know the professional professional side of things um and um i mean yeah it's, Who would have it's, thought it's, it's we're easy making to look at those and say and say yeah like this is opportunities changed like those bands' careers changed um, it probably introduced you to record labels that would then become pretty big staples in your life for like return yeah. comp- return customers uh, yeah the trust that is built between all of that that makes that makes absolute total sense um, and the friendships that were made like yeah. like those those are also really special records for me not because they sold well but because all of those people are like I mean they're I love them yeah I mean I, 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 I honestly like I would do anything for any of those guys and it was also like a very cool time is like my when we did Juturna and the studio was like in a building behind the house. So my wife got to spend a lot of time with the guys and get to know them really well. And that it was just, you know, it was just a, it was a, it was a special, that was, that was a special record. Love it. I love it. Um, now let's talk, uh, let's talk be well. So with that band starting also, I love, you know, I love Dahlbeck. I love that you play in a band with Dahlbeck yes. and, and obviously you guys go back really far. Schleybaum. I don't know him, but I, but obviously you did the darkest record, darkest hour records. Did you, I, I, maybe I skimmed over. Did you do fair weather records? I did. I did the first fair weather record. Okay. Um, so these and, are all people uh, that, you know, obviously you've known for years and years and years and years. Yes. Um, yeah. Something I don't know if I know was this band, uh it's it feels like a dirty term but like was this a quarantine band in the sense of like did it come together uh because of that where you wanted to make music with your friends or was it starting to just a before quarantine no um it started it started before quarantine um the um what happened was we had gotten an off battery had done a handful of things and i I was in like if kind of a dark place in my life at the time that that happened. And it was like just incredible how doing music and having things to look forward to and having people, you know, having a reason to be talking to people that I hadn't talked to in forever, how healing that was for me. And also um, 
I just felt like I just, I missed this. I, and, and uh, honestly, like I did not, uh, some of it I initially thought maybe would be battery. Like I kind of had written a whole bunch of songs and, and sent them to the guitar player and he did not like them. <laughs> so, and then I was in this, like, really, I, I liked, I loved it. And I was, I was like in a weird spot because it's like, it would have been a whole lot easier to have it be battery. Like starting a new band is hard, tough, especially yeah. when, when you're, you know, old as fuck like me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so it was, you know, it was kind of like this, like, no, this is what I want to do. And this is what inspires me. And, but then we had a long, it, it, it took a long time to find, um, to find members. And, and so then I had almost given up on it becoming a band and we ended up mike and i hired a studio the drummer from darkest hour to play on the recording and we initially recorded the weight and the cost and i hated how it came out mm. and so we scrapped it and actually i had thought that maybe i would just scrap it forever and then we had a battery tour with h2o and mike schleibaum said to me why don't we see if maybe andrew black too do you know andrew black he's a drummer, yeah, the drummer explosion. Yeah. Yeah, he's the explosion. He, he was gonna play on the battery tour and i love his drumming and so i sent him the the be well stuff and said this is this thing would you be would you be open to maybe like trying to cut the record a couple songs just see if it it's better because um like it just was wrong with like a really mechanical drummer i mean travis orban's amazing he's just the wrong yeah feel for I, what I, I was doing yeah and so andrew came in and actually had learned all of it and so we we re-recorded the drums for most of the record with andrew and then it was like wow this feels right now and then when shane the funny thing is we had sent the Travis Orban recordings to Shane, who's our drummer now. And he was like, I, this is not my thing. But when we sent him the Andrew recordings, he was like, Oh, ah, I get this. Yeah. So then we, we, then when Shane was in the band, um, there were a couple more songs that had been written and we went and recorded those. So the first record is like a, parts of it are Shane and parts of it are Andrew. So it's kind of like um, a piecemeal, like you put it, it was kind of put together over time. Yeah. But yeah. It, it was meant to come out well before it came out, but then the pandemic happened. And I just remember it being like, we should wait a month or two um, until <laughs> this thing yep. passes and, and then we'll put it out then. Then it became real clear that it wasn't, it wasn't. How naive passed. we all were. Yeah. Oh God. But I mean, you recorded Lament then, right? Yeah. Or we, we finished it, record- that was a pan- Yeah. We finished recording Lament in, uh, in like April of 2020. And then, right. and then, like I'm sure the same situation you had, where you're like, "Do we sit on this?" And then I don't know if what year, what month did did the did the Be Well record come out? It came out in August. Okay, so very similar to us, where like I wonder if yes. you had the same thought where I started. We started realizing all of our, for lack of a better term, competition records around that time were all being pushed or like just kind of being shelved. Right. And at that point, we had the conversation where we said, do we do we take advantage of the of the clear field and right and put this out and get more eyes on it than we would if we were like, for instance, the every time I die record radical, 
was supposed to come out a week before ours and they ended up pushing that until you know like almost two or like a year and a half or longer you know what i'm saying like we so as soon as we heard the every time i die record was going to be put to the side we were like fuck like it sucks because what our dream because we've never done this as a band our dream scenario was to be like here's our lp and then here's like a world tour like our plan was a full us a headliner a full europe headliner a full australia headline. like we had all of these dreams of like doing that right and then we were like well that's not gonna happen so do we just put out the record and see what happens and and just hope that you know people will still remember it by the time we get to tour and that was just the gamble we took so is that was that kind of was that a little bit of the headspace you guys had as well um yeah a little bit and i think that also it was just like i mean it was like unlike you guys we 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 were just a brand new band. Like we couldn't do anything without a record. It was like it just didn't feel like an option to wait. Right. You know? Um, I mean, I think that your record ended up being a kind of a perfect um pandemic record <laughs> too. So I think you made I, the I, right I really the... appreciate that. And it's flattering to me that you even are aware of it. So that that's very oh, cool. Yeah. Um Oh, I love that record. Oh, that's it's awesome. That, that means a lot to me. Um yeah, like we there was things that we didn't expect to have happen with it, with the amount of people that were like, I'm really glad this came out at this time because it, you know, helped in one way or another. Um, that's really cool. Um, so with, I wanted to ask with doing that record, like when, obviously you've recorded your bands in the past, like, is it hard for you to um, know when a record is done because you're the one making it? Um, no. So it took me a minute because of the first, the first version of the record, it was like, we had like, we had like Travis Orban, like the super perfect drums. And, and then when I was recording myself, it was like, I would like record and listen back and then scrutinize. And then, and, and, and I just, I felt like my vocal performance was very like, it just did not convey the emotion that uh, the, the lyrics held. And um, so when we did it again, I just had to, I had to try some different things. And I started doing something, which was I started tracking and not listening back and just playlisting things and getting things and then completely separating the, like comping the vocals from the performing the vocals. And that was the only way I was able to kind of, it could get the feeling out of the performance. Not it, was, it wasn't like a pitch thing. Yeah. It was like a feeling color character thing that I wasn't getting early on. And, um, and so that, that works. So I no, I mean like typically it's, it's interesting because in so many aspects of my life, I second guess myself <laughs> with music. I just don't. Yeah. I, I, it's like the only thing in, in, in the world that I kind of, I trust my judgment on when I'm working with other bands too. Like it's, it's, I, I, I don't get in my head about it. Um, mixing I do. And so mixing the record was really hard because Ah. it was like, you know, like it was like you, um, you, you, you just, I would just like, like, Everything I could either, it was like, I couldn't separate like having played things or sung things from what I was hearing. So it was like 
the the guys would be like, dude, I can't hear that lead at all. And I'm like, oh, that's all I hear, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was, um, it, it was, it was just weird in that way. Yeah, so, is it hard for you to get mixed notes on a band that you're in, you're producing? Cause you, cause, and, and, and be open-minded to them. <laughs> I, I, so uh, the diff, I am maybe different than a lot of other people. I love mixed notes yeah. because it makes me know that people are listening. You know what I mean? Sure. Like when bands write me back, like, Oh, it's all good. I'm like, Oh, you're going to fucking hate something in six months and never talk to me again. <laughs> oh, how funny. Oh, how funny. Uh, so I don't, I don't mind. I, I kind of like part of my process is like, I, I, I like, you know, the revisions. Cause typically what I'll do is I send bands out up of draft when I'm not a hundred percent yet. And typically by the time I'm getting feedback back, I've already kind of like, a lot of those things I've discovered on, on my own, mm, you know? Yeah. Um, but I feel like if I wait till I am like so fucking attached and it's like exactly how I want it to be, then, then I'll get like my feelings hurt about mixed notes. Fair. You know? Fair. And then with the new record, um, that it comes out, is it this Friday? Tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. Tom- tomorrow. That's exciting. Yes. Um, yeah. I saw it, but it's, there's i saw end hits is also putting it out there's like a european version and i love the two different color covers i'm always a fan of that type of stuff it's super cool yeah um was this a record that was more collaborative because i because at this point like i'm assuming did like did aaron play on the record and and yeah like all the guys contribute um you know it's it's kind of a little bit like the the writing was was uh, I mean, I am writing all the time, so I'm sending them demos and it's, it's so in be well, it's like, I am the primary writer, but it's like the guys have such a big influence on like what songs we do. And Shane will have a lot of, you know, um, kind of arrangement, like dynamic things and um yeah it was you know like it was it was much more collaborative in that like everybody was at the studio together and it that was nice and this one felt a lot health like the way in the cost to me because we recorded it twice always felt a little fucked up to me sure yeah <laughs> like we made that. the right disorder dis- decision i mean if we hadn't recorded it again the record would have never come out but it is it 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 is hard to, to record a record twice and not kind of start to be like go crazy. You know, yeah, of course. Go 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 crazy. Um, but but the new one was much more like, you know, shit was super demo. There was a a planned. You know, we 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 kind of like, you know, and the crazy thing is, it, it was rec- it was we finished mixing it last April. <laughs> It's just like with the vinyl oh, uh, vinyl yeah. and all that stuff, it just took forever. Awesome. And honestly, it ended up being kind of breaking our way because now we have this, we're doing this newfound glory tour that starts next week. And, you know, the record's coming out now. It just all lined up well. Things with the pandemic are a little more under control. Yeah. And I had never thought then that like, like the, the um i thought we would have done all these tours on the weight and the cost by the, the last record by this time but then everything got canceled yeah <laughs> because of how many shows has the band played at this point i don't know probably 
in the in the twenties. Oh, okay. Maybe okay. So it's like not that. it's so, not so kind super of, fresh. No, okay, I mean right. this this year we we ended up we did a little run with Boy Sets Fire to to Furnace Fest. Um, we've done a handful of things with Hot Water. We did some stuff with Avail, um, and then you know so we've we've played not as much as like we did have. We had two European tours get canceled. A right. festival in Europe canceled. We canceled a run of, of dates with Comeback Kid here because COVID sure. concerns. I mean, that's one thing that's harder is we all have kids, so it's like yeah, of course, risks that that you know that the we would take when we were twenty. We can't really take now. I mean, all of those shows you played too are like really solid. Like you know, you're going to be playing in front of people. Shows where it's yeah. It's, I was <laughs> I was super I was super bummed because when we played our last show in Boston with Hot Water Music, you guys were playing down the street. <laughs> oh fuck, that's right. Same night. That's yeah. right. That's right. And I was so bummed because I'm like, oh, I want to go to the show. Was, wait, and, was uh, that the, was that just this last headliner, or was yes? That, okay, yep. I didn't know. If yeah, was you were with store. Scowl and Vein FM. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, that yeah. was that. I mean, God, that tour was every night finding out and how many who else who else was in town every single night. I swear. Yeah, to God. and our, our, ours our, our run was the same. Like so, we had that that night, and then in. Brooklyn, uh, Incendiary, and Glassjaw were down the street, and then Philly was Drug Church, one step closer, dude. So it's, I mean, I I get it. It's just, yeah, you know. Um, well, I I mean, let me hit you with the last question, which is, and also congratulations on the new record coming out. I'm, oh, I'm excited. Thank you. I, I wanted to mention that um, the singles I've heard off of it, it's it's the band has harnessed a sound that feels like comfort. You know what I'm saying? Like I can hear. Oh, thank you so much. I can hear your taste in it i can hear the taste of the records you've made i can hear all of these i can i can it makes sense that dahlbeck is in the band like all of these different things yeah. that that uh it just feels very comforting so i appreciate uh the music you're making and that you're still yeah, doing yeah thank it. you it's so just, much yeah it's really cool. it's been it's been a treat it's been very it's it's special to get it isn't lost on me how lucky we are to be getting to make music and you know and it's also, it's also been so cool because it's like people like you that I've always, I can't believe we haven't met. Like, I know, it's, it's this is, I've been looking forward to this. So I appreciate you and thank you. What a cool thing to hear. That means a lot to me, truly. Um, we'll have to remedy that when, uh, yes. when we get a chance. Does this, does yes. forgive me for, for not catching it. Does that tour end up out here? It does. Um, I don't know when, at the end okay. of July. So I'll, I'll be responsible. First weekend. Yes. Yeah. I mean, any if you're around, it would be sweet. To hang. I don't have a dollar. I'd love to. to you. Yes. I'd love to. Um, all right. What was the? Uh, when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing that you'd been working so hard towards? I think the first time that I w- really went, wow, I'm kind of good at this, was <laughs> when we did Bane Give Blood, and I, and and that was a really interesting. Um, I, I, it's a it's a big mile marker for me because when I first started working with Bane, I was you know eighteen, nineteen, had no fucking idea what I was doing, and then you know we had made several records, and then they went in with someone else to do. It all comes down to this, and wanted to come back to me to do Give Blood. So it was like it was one of the first times that I could really say, look, and go, what what am I bringing to this? You know, like I could go this record sounds this way, feels this way. We had this experience doing it. And like, I could 
really see that like, wow, we're not just making it up as we go along anymore. Like that both, I felt like as a producer, I had kind of come into my own and them as songwriters. So like that was the first time I was like, that's a very special record, I think. And um, I just remember feeling like, wow, I <laughs> like we did this, you know, it's been a long kind of road together with a lot of people. And it was really like that one, because I had such strong references to compare it against I was finally able to go, wow, this is like a thing, you know, I'm and pretty good at this recording thing now. I love that example. And I also, you're totally right. And like, you know, I, I, I feel like I could, I would say this to, to them and I don't think they would take a, a, a offense to it, but like, I love holding this moment so much. And when I first heard Bane, it was, it all comes down to this. And I remember thinking like, I don't know if this is for me. Like it didn't, it, di it didn't it didn't connect with me very much and i don't know if it was because of it was sonically or just the song i don't know what it necessarily was but obviously everybody knows can we start again like they they made a hit on the right. record so that's gonna that's that's gonna last forever um but so like my introduction was it all comes down to this and i it didn't connect with me and then i heard holding this moment a friend played me holding this moment and i said wait a second what the fuck like right like count me out is still my favorite bane song and then, yes. then I heard, then I was working at a record store, Give Blood came out and I got the promo copy from Equal Vision and I put that on and I was like, holy, this is, yes, this is what I wanted from this band. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, well, it so also you, kind of, you it also kind of. Yeah, you connected the bridge. Yeah. And I also think that the, the, I realized that the recipe for me is, you know, working with people that you love and respect deeply who inspire you and pour everything you have into it, you know? And, and I mean, to me, I think everything I've ever been involved with that is meaningful. And I mean, and also has really connected with people has, have been made that way. And, and I, I think all the time about like, you know, I feel like a lot of those bands trusted me to do things that they had no business trusting me to do. And, um, I'm really like, appreciative that they did and i'm also appreciative that by the time that i got to a place in my career where i that trust was warranted that i was able to be there to help them document these really special songs so i mean that 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 one just always stands out to me as just like you know just on a friendship level music level like all of it it was just like you know we did it you know and it it still sounds i'm still proud of it today Absolutely. Hell yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Brian. This is great. Love it. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Brian for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now where Brian answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. Hear that now by heading on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. And if you have not subscribed to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to this, please do so. And leaving a positive rating and review means oh so much. All right. Take care. I'll see you next week. Bye bye.